Ortiz hits it deep in front of left center field. It's back, and it's very gone. A two-run walk-off home run for David Ortiz. And the Pierce. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. The Boston Power Hour. What's going on, Rotherland Nation? I'm Jake Seymour, and as always, I'm joined with Caden Bodak. Caden, how are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I got a pretty good setup, right? You know, right here, I got the fan. Um, And then I got to my left. I have um, ESPN. I'm watching the Mets Braves game right now. So you know, you know, doing both. You know, look at the FanDuel, and we're, do, we're doing pretty well. You know, we're, we're winning a dollar. So yeah. There you go. Here to here first. Kaden's winning a buck for the first time in FanDuel. But guys, welcome back to another episode of the Boston Power Hour. We got a jam packed episode for you guys today. But first, we got to start off with the Red Sox. Uh, Red Sox opened up this weekend, and uh, pretty underwhelming, I have to say. I mean, they went one and two against the Orioles, which is something that. They should not have done. I mean, let's be honest, they probably should have swept them. Uh, Kaden, what's your take on this whole Red Sox right now? Yeah, so basically, every game matters. I just looked at the schedule. Obviously, in the 60-game season, every game matters. I just looked at the schedule. They played, like, 28 games in August. They played, they played every they play every day for the rest of J- July, so that's, like, eight games. And then they play um, 28 games in August and 24 games in September. This is, That's, like, a game pretty much every single day. Um, Ron Rennick, he basically is just showing us that he doesn't know how to manage a baseball team. So, basically, what you're going to need in a scenario like this, where it's a six-game season, you got games every single day, is a deep pitching staff. What do the Red Sox not have? A deep pitching staff. You have um, Chris Sale, who has Tommy John. Um, so, he's out. That's fine. He's out for the year. Um, that was expected. Then you got... Erod, who has coronavirus and then now has like this disease because he has inflammation in his heart or something like that. So he's going to be back, he said, but you know, who knows how he's going to be when he gets back, especially with no summer camp or in and uh, spring training being like two, three months ago. And then you got Nathan Evaldi, who last year was your third guy, but with no sale and no Erod, he's your ace. Nathan Evaldi's your ace. And then you got Martin Perez. Who, um, couple uh, was it yesterday? Showed us that he just can't do it. Then you got Weber. I I don't even know his first name. Who's wouldn't even be? He'd be a bullpen guy. All right, he'd be a bull, bull bullpen guy. If the Sox had everybody. Um, and he gave up what six runs? I didn't watch the game. I think it was like six runs. You know. The Red Sox just don't have a pitching staff, and that's what you need to win games. And if you don't have a deep pitching staff, it doesn't matter how many um, runs you can score because I'm telling you, you're not going to score 13 runs every single night. And, and you might you're, you might score four every single night, but you're definitely not scoring 13. And if you can't um, pit, pitch to back back up those four runs, you're, you're, you're never going to win. And it definitely doesn't help when your manager sees a guy like Weber who is struggling three innings in, and he just keeps him in there because he's stubborn and he just doesn't know how to manage a baseball team. You know, in a shortened season like this, you can't be like, well, we've got 162 games. We can wait this out. You know, it's a little slump. It's a 60-game season. You're playing every single day. You can't just wait out 
you know, it's not, you wait out 12 games, that's the fifth of your season. You can't do that. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox have, that was a disgusting series against the Orioles, let me just say that. We opened up good on uh, Friday night. We beat them 13-2, to and I was like, okay. I mean, we did good. I mean, that's what I was expecting, you know. Yeah. Brutal beatdown on the Orioles, which is how it should have been, you know. The Orioles have not been a good ball club in a long time. Um, I mean, I even saw it today, like, people on Twitter always saying, like, it's a double-A team, you know? I mean, yeah. they, they Chris Davis played first base. Was, last year. Yeah, they're just not – they're not good. They're not a good team. I mean, Orioles, not, like, sorry to be like that, but it's the truth. You guys suck. But, um, I mean, the Red Sox, how do you guys lose two games to the Orioles? And then, like, people think you're going to make the playoffs, but you're losing games to teams that you should be beating. You know, this week you have three games against the Mets, and I believe you have four or three against the Yankees, which – Going to Yankee Stadium, that's not going to be easy with the result fans. I mean, it's Yankee Red Sox baseball. I mean, that's not easy. They're going to lose that series. So what? So, well, maybe they go one and two for the Mets. If I mean, this is how they're playing. They go one and two against the Mets. Maybe they get a game from New York. So what, next week, are we going to be looking at like a two and, what, two and eight, two and ten team going into next week? Like, that's going to be awful. You know, that's the fifth of your season right there, 12 games. You're not going to. You're, I don't think you're going to see a 2-10 and 10 team. I just think, like, Ron Renneke has to learn that we, we, we can't have guys going six innings. We're going to have to have three mediocre guys each going three innings because a mediocre guy can only be good for so long, if that makes any sense. You know, you're yeah. not going to have a guy like Weber that's going to go six innings and be solid all six innings. You might have a guy like Weber that goes two innings and is solid. Then you could bring in another guy that goes – two, three innings and is solid. But by that fourth inning, they won't be solid. I mean, I think Renegade has to realize that that in the 60-game season, you, you you can and you will have to do stuff like that to, to uh, just get the most out of these guys without killing them. Come postseason, too. like Right. And, um, you know, even let's touch on that hitting a little bit. You know, obviously the pitching is awful. We knew that going into the year that pitching would not be a strong suit for the Red Sox, especially with Chris Sale and uh, Erod both out uh, for a decent amount of time. I mean, the hitting right now, I mean, Raphael Devers finally got his first hit about time, but not to be like that, but seriously, come on. You're like, you know, you're supposed to be the next up-and-coming star and you get your first hit the third game of the year. Ben and Tenny, where are you at, dude? You're at, what, 0-10 now? You came in the pitch and you struck out. Like He's oh been, God. yeah, he was 0-10, yeah. He, ben and Tenny's 0-10 going into this year, and I hate, like, everyone being, oh, the Ben and Tenny, no. Bennington needs to go and hit the ball. I don't care how good a left fielder he is. If you can't hit, you can't play baseball. It's like part of the goes, game. And this goes back to what I was saying with, like, it's people are just saying it's just a slump. Well, you can't just have a slump in a 60-game season. Exactly, you yeah. Know, you, you, can't, you can't have that. And and this goes kind of back to Renicky not knowing how to manage a baseball team. In the leadoff spot, he's never been good. When the Red Sox drafted him out of Arkansas with the seventh overall pick, they never had this thought process of Benatendi being the – the uh, leadoff hitter. So move him down to the fifth or sixth spot. Have a guy like Pilar lead off. You know, they had Perez lead off the, the uh, or whatever the guy's name is. I have no idea. The second baseman. I have no idea how to pronounce his yeah. name. But anyway, have like Pilar lead off. Have, have Verdugo lead off. Maybe, you know, dick around with it a little bit. But having Ben Attendee in the, in, in the leadoff spot isn't what you need. You need to have him in the, you know, fourth or fifth spot even six spot maybe was a place where he's a lot more comfortable. Yeah, right. I mean, speaking on Benintendi real quick about him leading off, I was reading uh, – sorry, I, li- I heard on WEI on the radio, um, What listened to the Sox game yesterday. He bats like 260 leading off last year, I think, and he bats 294 everywhere else. So it do we really like, think it's a good idea to have him lead off? 
Yeah, and he, and he was like 119 on the road leading off. 119. Like, that's disgusting. That's, that's awful. I, and, I don't understand what's going on with this Red Sox team. I really thought once they came out and had 13-2, to two, obviously, like we said, you're not going to score 13 runs a night. Yeah. But I really thought that they had something going. You know, props on uh, Nathan Evalde. He had a great game. He looked phenomenal on the mound, especially those first couple innings. So, he's like the best pitcher we have, and everyone else is just awful. I mean, you know, and this wouldn't be that bad if we had Erod and Chris Sale, but we don't. Yeah. And also, it's a 60-game season, so there's not a lot you can do. We need to go out and get pitching. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's like, in a 60-game season, I mean, you know that the pitching is, gonna, pit, pit, uh, pitching is going to struggle. You know that um, – you knew that coming into the season, you know, you knew having Ron Renneke and not not having a full spring training, everything was going to get screwed up. But this, this in time like this, Ron Renneke needs to step up. Management can do a lot. And if management um, can't, is afraid to speak their mind and, and um, is still stuck in that mindset of a 162-game season, it doesn't matter how good this team is. If, if, if a manager can't manage his team, then they're not going to be good because they're going to make stupid mistakes like having guys go an inning too long when they're on the uh, bridge of falling off a cliff of just how bad they're performing. You know, you know he's he's bending it, but he's not he's not he's not bending it before they break. He's he's breaking it. You know, right. And um, I think a lot of this has to do on Devers part. I'm going to speak for Devers real quick. Uh, you know, him and Core really got along, and Core did bring out the best of Devers. So I'm I'm you know curious and worried that. Without with Cora being gone, that Devers is going to be awful now, and that like, you know, because I believe I believe Devers came into the league with Cora as his manager, I believe, or yeah. he had Farrell for like one year or something. But I mean, he was good with um, you know, if he had Farrell, but he was great with Cora, and you know, he was really good in that 2008, uh, excuse me, that 2018 run. But I mean, it's just um, it's a little embarrassing. Two years ago, we won the World Series, and now we're uh, in a pretty bad slump heading into uh, the 2020 season couple things i have like three things to say before we move on here or move on to our next little red sox bit um the you you mentioned alex cora and, and his management style and how a lot of his team obviously you know grew up around alex cora and had a lot of success with alex cora um thing with what i like about alex cora that ron renneke needs to learn especially in this um single game season it, or 60 game season is alex cora in the 162 game season took every game seriously, took every game like it mattered, right? And now you have Ron Renneke who's like, we'll get it, we'll get it. He, he always looks ahead and never looks, and it hasn't shown in three games, he's focused on the game at hand. And when you have every game, uh, meaning about 2.7 games, if you had a 162-game season, it, it's, 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 uh, I have no idea what the word is. Vital, I think. Yeah, vital that you um, take every game super seriously and, and fight it out. And, you know, don't don't take an inning off because if a manager is taking an in inning off, that turns into two innings off and, you know, it just spirals from there. He needs to take every game seriously, something that Cora did that he hasn't been able to show that he can do. And right. uh, the, the other thing I think you're talking about with, uh, with, with Devers is – is they got to figure it out. Like I said, I think that just goes towards management that these guys aren't comfortable right now. And and uh, I think he will get it. And he's been fishing um, for pitches. And Renneke was on WEI earlier today and, 
in uh, Castiglio and ask him about Devers, and he's like, well, that's what he always does. He always, he's always been fishing for Castiglio. Well, figure it out then. He's clearly it's not working now. He's got to figure it out, and Renicky doesn't know how to manage to, to, to fix that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Ron Renicky is going to be the right fit. I mean, I mean, it's only three games, so I mean, I feel bad giving the guy a tough time, but that being said, too, it's only a 60-game season, so you know, in two games, we're going to be a 12th the way through the season, so it'll be uh, pretty interesting. But before we wrap up this topic, just real quick onto the uh, season. Uh, so each game is equivalent to 2.75 games for all you math that's out there. So every game in this season is equivalent to two two and three quarters of a game last season. Uh, so, Caden, so the, the line right now in Vegas is 29.5 uh, wins for the soccer chair. Are you going over or under? I'm going under, uh, but I will say this. I'll go under probably around 20. They'll probably win 27, 26, 27 games. But they still will make the playoffs. You've got eight teams from each division to make the playoffs this year. 60-game season. You don't have to run away with it to make the season, uh, make the playoffs. you just got to finish right around 500, which the Red Sox will do. But, um, yeah, I can't see them winning more than 30 games. Uh, anywhere close to 30 games. If you asked me this question Friday night, I would have told you they're winning at least 40 because that's what they look, they look like a 41 ball club. But, you know, seeing the pitching staff, um, you know, be active these last two games, I I can't confidently say they'll win over 29 and a half games. I'll probably take the under on that. Um, will they make the playoffs? Yeah, probably. Will they go deep? No, they'll probably get bounced in the first round of the wild card. So, um, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I don't know. Like, we literally go from a World Series – you know, champion two years ago and in two years we're barely going to make the playoffs. Might even miss it, so. Listen, Jake, so here, here's a little hot take for you. You're going to get Erod back. They're going to make the playoffs, and uh, they're going to they're going to go, you know, pretty far in this in the in the, um, in, the in the playoffs. They showed us on, uh, what was it, Tuesday that um, or no, Tuesday was it Friday they opened up yeah Friday that um they do have the hitting power they can do it in every you know it's uh playoff series now it's three games three game playoff series you just saw the Orioles a team who won 108 games last year just beat the Red Sox series and Red Sox in a three game series anything can happen I think that that helps the Red Sox because their bats can get hot and we, we saw what saw what can happen when the, when the bats are hot and then with Erod so you got Erod you got Evaldi and then you can just have a bullpen day for your third game if needed you know you don't with this three game series you need decent bats which they have they scored four runs today or whatever it was and an average pitching yeah which when Evaldi's back they can do it or when when Erod's back they can do it yeah so I mean Red Sox I mean you guys got a chance to do something special but it's gonna be a it's gonna be a you know shot in the dark. But moving on to somebody that absolutely is on something special, and, and you know his time in the big leagues is Mookie Betts. Just signed a contract, uh, twelve year, three hundred and sixty five million dollar contract. Uh, that's sixty five signing bonus, and he's gonna be paid till he's fifty two, which is just absurd. Like that's a cool contract. You're gonna be retired and still be getting paid by the Dodgers. Caden, uh, do you think this was a good or bad move for the Dodgers? This is an awful contract. I mean, if you look at it, let me just pull this up here. I can't figure this out. Okay, so if you look at it, um, the the Dodgers, you know, they're paying him what three hundred and what was it again? Three sixty. It's a three hundred and sixty-five million dollar contract for twelve years with sixty-five signing bonus, and he's going to be paid till he's fifty-two. 
Yeah, so first I want to just address this real quick. Can you imagine um, pay, paying, uh, uh, getting paid $65 million to sign your name on a dotted line? Uh, that That's the first thing I wanted to um, address. But the other thing is we're going to, we're going to see this. So Mookie's, what, he's 28 now? It's a 12-year contract. He's going to be 40, okay? He's going to be 40. He's going to start declining soon, and he won't be anywhere near the player he is now by the time he's 34, 35 years old. And you're paying a guy 20, 25, 30. All right, you're probably nice. 40 million. You're paying him $40 million a year to, to, to bat probably 200. And that's just a waste of money because it – they don't have a salary cap, but there's only so much money to go around. The Dodgers are only going to have so much money. They're not. They're going to be have to pay Bellinger big money. They're not going to be able to afford Jock Peterson. They're not going to be able to afford uh, Justin Turner. A lot of these guys are not going to be able to afford with this Mookie contract. Clayton Kershaw, goodbye. What uh, I know, he just signed. He, he resigned uh, recently, but but um, eventually that contract's going to go out, and Mookie, you're still going to be you know handcuffed with Mookie and he's just not going to be the same player he was last year and there's no guarantee that even next year he's going to be the same player he had an outstanding year two years ago when they won the World Series yet he hasn't he had he had an okay year last year but he didn't have the year where you want to pay a guy 370 million or whatever it is for 12 years and there's yeah, nobody I mean, there's nobody worth that it just screws up everything I mean, Mike Charles has been pretty good. He's signed a pretty good contract. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah he signed a 12-year deal, but he might be he's going to be good for five years, but those other seven, they're just handcuffed to him, and they're, they're screwed over. They have no more money to spend. Yeah, I mean, this contract's very, very interesting. I mean, especially for the Dodgers, kind of like you said, they're kind of handcuffed here. But, I mean, I think it was a good move because, you know, it gives you marketing flexibility, you know. People like to see Mookie Betts. Uh, he's a good guy. Um, I mean, it's just kind of one of those things where – you know, it looks good on paper, and it could work out. And baseball is one of those sports where you can be in your 40s and be a very dominant player. So, I mean, that's something, too, that would be interesting. But I think the other thing with Mookie that people kind of forget is that Mookie brings in a lot of people, too, I feel like, because, like you said, he had a great year in um, 2018. Okay year last year, but, you know, this is a brand-new year. He's looked good throughout the first couple games. So, you know, maybe he bounces back and has a maybe another MVP season. And, you know, maybe next year in free agency, he brings over some more people. So... And I think that's something that you kind of got to look at. Um, I mean, for the Dodgers, I feel like, like, why would you pay someone this much? And then not because you have such a good roster around you that I feel like you're not going to be able to hold everyone that you want, like like all those players that you said. But I think when it comes down right to the bottom line, I think you can't say it's a bad contract. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. I don't think L.A. has an issue or will ever have an issue with getting getting uh, people interested um but the, the i think the bigger issue like you mentioned and i mentioned it, uh, pre previously is that yeah you paid mookie betts who has the potential to be a star but you're losing out on guys like jock peterson on guys like you're gonna lose out on guys like jock peterson justin turner Corey seager guys who help your help your uh, team out you know one guy doesn't win you a world series a team doesn't if you have one superstar and an average team all around him nothing happens you saw that with mike trout a couple years ago the angels 
weren't good because Mike Trout was your only good player, and all of a sudden you just have a bunch of bums around you, you're not going to be a good baseball team. Yeah, I mean, I think even going on that too, it kind of shows with the players that the Dodgers have, all those guys that they have. Uh, Mookie comes in, plays, I don't even, I think he signed the contract before he even played a real game for the Dodgers, right? So yeah. he signs this contract before even playing with them. And as a player, you got to be look, thinking about this like, damn, Mookie comes in, doesn't he, hasn't even played a real game for us yet. And the manager's already committing to him for 12 years, 365, but yet I haven't gotten that yet. And I've been here for, you know, like, at, you know, X amount of years. So, I think I, I'm curious to see if that'll come over into the locker room and cause some chemistry issues because that could be huge. I think the thing there is him coming to, to – I think this was a done deal before he even signed with the Dodgers. I think that it was part of the negotiations. Hey, you come to L.A., we're going to give you a close uh, contract anywhere from 350 to $400 million, a long-term deal. I think that kind of helped entice him to go to um, the Dodgers, and I think that was kind. This was kind of a done deal before um, he even uh, stepped foot in L.A. And I think the players, you know, kind of knew that and they respect that. You know, Mookie's a guy that, in hindsight, if you if you look one two years down the road, this is a great move for the Dodgers, but it's not a good move ten years down the road. For the Dodgers, you know, it's not a good move eight years down the road. It's not a good move five years down the road. In in in, in 2020 vision here, you're looking at the one to three years from now. It's a great move because you still have Corey Seager under contract. You still have, uh, you obviously have Mookie Betts. You still have Jock Peterson, I believe. You still have Clayton Kershaw. You, you have a pretty good core. You might even be able to sign Justin Turner. But after that. You're paying a guy like Mookie, who's not going to be as good, who's going to be a DH. You're paying a D. You're going to be paying a DH 40, 40 $45 million a year. It just, and you're not going to have anybody around him. I think thinking of this from a management perspective is once all those players that you've named, uh, Kellen Simons here, uh, once they kind of get to the end of their contracts, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers trade them away for prospects and kind of just build their farm system. So then you can have these really cheap players on really cheap contracts, um, you know, coming up and playing and being good and decent, but then having an absolute superstar and a leader in Mookie Betts because Mookie Betts is somebody that you want leading your ball club. I mean, he's somebody who not only is he a good ball player, but he's a good guy and, uh, yeah. you know, just a good leader. So I feel like that alone makes the contract worth it because you can have all these small little guys come up and then they come up, and now all of a sudden you're in the next cycle, and then you know, then 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 the next Mookie Betts comes along, and then you can flip him, and then you know, the cycle kind of repeats itself. So it'll be interesting to see how the Dodgers handle this. But now let's think uh, more hypothetically here: Should the Red Sox have signed Mookie Betts to this contract? They could have so probably I signed just, before. I was actually just going to ask you that. Um, personally, I don't think so, and I, and. and and I, I think these long-term big-money contracts are stupid no matter who they're signing. I love Xander Bogarts, but if they signed him to this deal, I'd be like, this is stupid. I mean, I love him for, for, for three, four, five years, but 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, no, I don't like him. So, so I think that the Red Sox um, got a good deal out of it. I think, you know, you got a guy like Verdugo, um, and you got some prospects that you could, you're going to re-sign a guy like Verdugo to a decent uh, contract. And by not spending $370 million on one player for 12 years, you're able to afford the guys like Andrew Benatendi, Xander Bogarts, uh, you know, Chris Sale, Nathan Avaldi, um, all, all these guys, Kevin Pillar. You know, you're able to afford these guys because you're, you're not stuck 
because you spend $400 million on a guy. Yeah, I mean, I think the Red Sox, I think the Red Sox should have done it because, and like I said for the Dodgers uh, too, you know, once those guys, like those really good guys like the Bogarts, the Devers, the J.D. Martinez's, once they kind of get off their contract and you can flip them, flip them for more prospects and then, you know, the cycle kind of repeats itself. I mean, I love Mookie as a Red Sox. I thought he was like the, one of the heart and souls of this team. I mean, I put him right up there with David Ortiz, to be honest. He was uh, one of those guys that, you know, you knew that he was like the face of the franchise. And, you know, you knew if you're going to Fenway and he was in the lineup, you knew what you're going to get. You're going to get a good game from him. And, you know, he made right field like a very valuable position, you know, because right field kind of, kind of gets uh, crapped on a lot. as kind of like the worst position in the outfield. Like, you stick someone out there if, you know, they're a good hitter and you're in the NL and you kind of just put them out there. Um, but, you know, he showed that, hey, I can do good things in right field. Right field isn't just for a bunch of scrubs, you know. So that was something that I kind of liked about him. But it's sad that he's gone. But, hey, you know, it's a good thing, too, if the Red Sox move forward with a young core. And hopefully, you know what, maybe Devers or Bogart can turn into a Mookie Betts, you know. The, the, other, thing, best. the other thing, Jake, that you were talking about how this contract, this cycle about, you know, players wanting big money is going to repeat themselves. And I, 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 I disagree with you there because there's only probably five players in the major leagues who are capable of wanting $400 million. Mookie Betts, yeah. Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, um, you know, you may, maybe a guy like Aaron Judge down the road. So there's only got, there's only a handful of guys that are capable of asking and, and have the right to ask for that much money. And and guys like Xander Bogart, Xander signed a uh, team-friendly deal because uh, he, he wants to be with this team for long-term. Rafael Devers knows he's not worth $400 million, and he's not going to ask for that. So yeah. these guys are going to be able to stick around, and you're going to be able to pay these guys $20 million a year because you're not spe- pay- paying one guy 400 yeah, I mean, this whole contract thing is very interesting, even across, like, all sports. You know, we just saw Patrick Mahomes sign for a huge, like, 500 and, what what was it, $505 million. Someone's yeah. stupid. But somebody that signed for an extremely team-friendly deal was the one and only Cam Newton. He's a Patriot now. Cam Newton is a New England Patriot. Signed for a, uh, I believe it was a one-year, like, not even a $1 million contract and sent to base, which yeah, is perfect I think it, I think it was. I think it was five hundred and five thousand, and then he can earn up to seven million. Yeah, so I mean, it's that's a pretty cool contract, if I do say so myself. I mean, it's also good trade bait for the Patriots. But, Keenan, I gotta ask you. So now Cam Newton, he's a New England Patriot. How's your sit-up stiffy doing? Is it, how's it doing over there? I mean, I'm staying strong. I think that I I think that I have to believe in him because I. I, I just ha- have so long, so my my brain. I mean, I'm kind of concerned, but the other the other side of me is like, why 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 stop now? Once once Cam Newton you know got into New England, you wrote a blog about why that was a, not going to be a great move for the Patriots. So why two weeks later are you like, oh shit? Like, there's no need not to be. You know, there's no need to be like that. You, you know, I'm I'm still on the Stidham train. Um, like I said in my article, and I I stand by this here. Um, Cam Newton, he, he if you look at his stats from two years ago, and then his in, in like Gardner Minshew's completion percentage, and guys like Andy Dalton, these guys, he was like right there with them. So he he isn't some like superstar quarterback, mind you. He signed for uh, like half a million guaranteed, 
and in a totally incentive-based deal. There's a reason why he did that. Because no other team would want to take a chance on him. And there's a reason why if the Patriots thought he was going to be 2015-2016 Cam, they wouldn't have uh, gotten him for this cheap. And there's a reason why they did that. And it's because they, they there's no telling if Cam is even going to make it through training camp. And I don't think he is because there's no preseason games. So you got a guy like Stidham who even when Tom Brady was in a Patriots uniform, it seemed like the culture and the vibe around Gillette was, he's going to be, he's good. You know, Stidham is good. And you got a guy who knows the Patriot way, who the who knows the coaching staff, who the coaching staff trusts, who knows the playbook, and who's, you know, has decent chemistry with the teammates. Then you got a guy like Cam Newton, who obviously, you know, he's been working out with Edelman and whatnot. He's, he has good chemistry, but doesn't know the Patriots way. And, and we saw how big a part of that is, you know, just the Patriots culture. The Patriots way, he doesn't know that. He, You can learn a playbook, but there's only so many times you can r- run run plays without getting hit. And then you have padded practices, and those are going to be cut down because of coronavirus. Um, you only have about 10, 10, 12 of those. So then by then, the, let's be honest, the defense knows your plays. And, and, and if you're practicing with these guys five, six days a week for two and a half hours a day, they're going to pick up on your plays. So he's not without preseason. He's not getting any in-game experience, which Stidham got, you know, last year, obviously, but more in the preseason. And I just don't think Stidham or Cam Newton's going to be able to perform because he's his numbers show that he's an average quarterback and he lost his greatest asset, which is his legs. Yeah, I mean, so my take on Cam Newton is this. I think week one, I think Stidham starts week one. That's my take. I think Stidham starts week one, but I don't think he finishes the season. I think Cam Newton comes in and finishes somewhere. I feel like Newton, I mean, excuse me, I feel like Stidham would uh, kind of struggle a little bit coming into week one and two. I just feel like I don't know if he's ready yet because why would the Patriots go out and sign Newton? Why? Makes no sense to me. So I feel like they go out, they sign Newton, the Stidham, you know, goes a couple weeks, and then if Stidham does bad maybe like three weeks in, then you put Newton in, and you go from there. So what's going to happen here? So how I I disagree with that. I think the Patriots just cut Jamar, Jamar, whatever the guy's name was, that quarterback from Louisiana Tech. They just cut him today. Um, and that is to just, you know, Cam Newton, he, he's he's the competition here. Because without Cam Newton, Jared Stidham knows that Brian Hoyer is not a threat. Jared Stidham knows that he's a starter. But with Cam Newton, he's like, oh, shit, now I got some competition, whatever. That's all Cam Newton's here for because Jared Stidham is going to start week one, and he's going to struggle. Okay? he's It's not going to go well. He's going to struggle. He's going to start week two probably. He's going he's, he's gonna to do better, but he's still going to struggle. And the vibe around Patriot training, uh, around Gillette Stadium and the Patriots organization is we're going to stick with Stidham. And Cam's going to hear that. He's going to know that. He's going to say, this isn't proving myself. Me being a backup for three weeks over a struggling rookie on a team that's kind of it, it, that is in, that is secretly in rebuild, rebuilding mode is not going to prove myself. I want out. And that's what he's going to do. So I think he's not, I don't... He's not patient enough to wait for five or six weeks when he would get an opportunity. So I think uh, Newton, I don't think he's – the way he's been talking about – this this contract is about respect for him, and it's not about the playing time, and it's not about anything else. 
So I think he just rides out with Bill Belichick because I think he trusts Bill Belichick a lot. Uh, you know, he had a great coach in Ron Rivera, but uh, he had a pretty bad coach at the end of his running Carolina. So I think he trusts Bill Belichick enough that if Bill Belichick says to him, no, this is how we're doing it and this is what's going to happen, I think Newton's, you know, smart enough to realize, okay, Bill Belichick knows what he's doing. He's won six rings. I'm just going to ride, you know, ride the way with him. Okay. So I think that's what's going to happen. I think Stidham still starts week one and Newton's there as competition. I, I'll give you that. But I feel like Newton's there to shake it up midway through the year because you know how Bill Belichick loves, loves to shake it up. We see it all the time with receivers. He'll throw in a random receiver here and there, you know, just to shake it up a little bit. And it, you know, always, always works for him. So I feel like Newton comes in and shakes it up. And I think McDaniels is on like cloud nine with this because he's able to call plays that he hasn't been able to call in years. You know, he can call a run play with a quarterback. Couldn't do that with Tom Brady. Tom Brady was not a runner. So I feel like McDaniels is so excited just to have Cam Newton, like even on the front. I, I, I think that's where people are getting lost. Um, if Cam Newton is going to be anything in this offense, which he's it, he, he's going to be a package guy, okay? They're gonna they're gonna run packages for him. That never works in the NFL, and Cam Newton is not going to deal with that. Cam Newton is not going to be be like I'm going to be a package quarterback. I'm going to go find it somewhere else to compete for the starting job. Um, and everybody gets hung up on Cam Newton. You know the Patriots are going to be able to run run uh, run plays with the quarterback. You know run pass options, whatever. Cam Newton can't do that anymore. He just his body can't do that. His body doesn't hold up, and that yep. that's just that, that's just why he, he won't be able to do any of that stuff. And that 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 dream's crushed. But yeah, but I also feel like the Patriots' O line is going to be so much better that I feel like he's going to be able to you know have some run plays and not get hit as hard because the Patriots' O line they've always had a good O line. And I know I realize that the O line coach he just retired this past season, but it's you know that same that you know the same mentorship is still there. You know, like it doesn't just disappear because he's gone. You know, you got guys like David Andrews still there. You know, James Tooney he's still there. You know, so that little tradition is still going to carry on. You know, it's about protecting the quarterback and being the Patriot way. But the one thing. The one thing I'm worried about with Cam Newton is this. In Super Bowl 50, he did not dive on that loose ball. Right now, that defines Cam Newton. Because people forget, he went 15-1 that year, won the MVP, and went to the Super Bowl, but did not dive on that ball. If he dives on that ball, we might be sitting here saying that this is a former Super Bowl MVP and champion. That was That's how close that play was. The fact that he didn't dive on that ball is not a Patriot way at all. That's what's worrisome to me is that this guy was in the Super Bowl, the biggest spotlight in the world in any sport, the Super Bowl, and he's sitting here and he crumbled. He did not die for that football. Yeah. That's something to me where I'm like, you know, how can you say, how can you go off and say, you know, I'm like one of the best, but then in the prime, in the biggest moment of your career, you choke and you haven't been there since. I mean, he's definitely matured, so I don't think that's so much of an issue. But, yes. um... Uh, again, I just think like his body can't hold up, um, and, and he, he's not going to be patient enough, and, and, I, that, and that's where it's gonna, he's going to lose. I think he's patient enough. I think he can ride the wave with Bill Belichick, but right now I'm going with Stidham starts week one. I stole my Stidham stiffy. Stidham starts week one. Later on in the year, though, Cam Newton starts. I think Cam right, Newton I'm, finishes the year. All right, my take, my final say here, the final word on this for me is. Uh, Cam's going to be out of New England at the latest week five. Wow. So what? What's the? Uh, so we'll say the the latest is week five. What's the earliest? Training. Training camp. The earliest is training camp. Yeah. The earliest is halfway halfway towards training camp, or right before the season starts. Yeah. Well, what is that about? A month or two? So you get you give them a month or two in New England. 
Yeah, so the ceiling, I'm I'm realistically giving him, I'm leaning towards he's going to get caught in training camp for, or, or week one, or, or at the end of week one, middle of week two, because they're, they're going to find out real quickly what this guy is made of. He can post all the Instagram videos he wants of him working out, but once he gets there, it's a totally different game. He can say that he respects Bill Belichick, but once you step in that man's face and start practicing in front of him, it's a different game. Yeah, I'm. Um, I like I said, I think Sidham starts, but I'm really hoping Bill Belichick does a trick play with Cam Newton, where maybe he's like a he's in the receiver or he's a running back or something. But that would be amazing. Let's just start there. That Cam Newton in a trick play with with Sidham at the quarterback. That would be amazing. But um, right now, I'm going with Sidham. He starts Week One. I mean, just because this guy came in, I mean, you know, I feel like I still feel like Sidham still starts, and I think Brian Hoyer's his position's locked. Brian Hoyer's not going anywhere. It would be yeah. hysterical, though, if – I mean, I don't wish this on anybody. I'm just thinking, like, a funny little, like, scenario would be if, uh, for whatever reason, Stidham and Newton can't start and Hoyer's forced to start. Like, something that nobody's been talking about. I mean, it could happen. I mean, especially in 2020, anything's possible. So, but right now I'm going with Stidham starts week one. Right now. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm going Stidham starts week one, but in Cam gets cut by week five, five probably before training camp. All right, so Jared Sidham, remember, after you win your Super Bowls in New England, or the Boston Power Hour said in uh, July 26th of 2020 that you were going to start week one and that you're going to be good. Yeah, so actually, I said before that, I think I said on, on, on Boston's Big Three that he was going to be, like, an AFC champion or, or Super Bowl champion. He was a couple Super Bowls with him. So. I mean, uh, Stidham, Caden's been on your coattail since those Auburn days. I mean, check that scarf right there. He's been right. He's been there for a minute. But, you know, i got to move on right to the present right now. we got Bruins and Celtics. Uh, Bruins just left for their uh, hub city in Toronto. Celtics finish up their second scrimmage today in the bubble. Um, so, Caden, i got to ask you, who do you think goes far- farther in the playoffs, Celtics or Bruins? Bruins, and this is why. Um, you got Kemba Walker, who we don't know if he's going to be able to stay healthy. We don't know what that knee's going to do. you got five people um, on a basketball court. you got seven uh, on a um, – on the ice at one time for, for a hockey team. So right there, I think just in basketball, one player makes a lot bigger, a lot more of a difference than one player on a hockey team. If pasta can't go for a few games and he can't go through halfway through uh, halfway until halfway through round one of the playoffs, that's going to be okay. But if Kemba can't do that, if Kemba can't go through round two, Kemba Kemba's banged up all playoffs. There's no telling the Celtics are going to make it anywhere. And that's why I think that uh, the Bruins are going to end up going further just because one player makes such that uh, such a big difference in basketball. Yeah, I'll give you that. But I also got to say, too, that I think Tatum's about to take over in this playoffs. Uh, he's he's coming up next. So I feel like Tatum, he's going to be the key person for the Celtics. But I do – I think I have to agree with you. I think the Bruins might go further because I think the Bruins legitimately, legitimately have a shot to win the Cup. I mean, I've been saying the Celtics could win the Cup. But, I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch. But the Bruins, like, I think they're pretty much favored to win the Cup, no? I mean, Yeah, there is. But you never know. I think the betting favorite, I right now, anybody, like, it's really any. I mean, basketball, not really. But, like, it's really anybody's game because of just who knows. Like, if you're drafting a fantasy football team right now, I mean, nobody's doing that. But next, in a couple of weeks, people are going to start drafting fantasy football teams. You're going to see guys taking three quarterbacks because they don't know who's going to get Corona. You never know. Zion, uh, Kemba, and Jay, and, and uh, Tatum could, could come down with Corona and stuff like that. It, 
2020, anything can happen, but I just think that um, the, the the Bruins will go further just because of the impact, impact a single player has on a basketball team. And if that star player is at 50 65% and can't go full playoffs, then team's kind of screwed. Yeah, I got to go with the Bruins. I mean, I think the Bruins, um, like, not only for the fact that you said, like, the one dominant player part, but they just they just seem, seem like the team that can win it all in the sport. So, yeah. I got to go with the Bruins here. Um, the Celtics, though, I mean, I think the Celtics could go all the way. I mean, being realistic here, I know Kemba Walker, he's been hurt, and he only played nine minutes in today's scrimmage. But Kemba Walker, I mean, he doesn't have to be the alpha dog, like the lead guy. We have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Realistically, Kemba Walker could be the third option. People don't talk about that enough. But I think in a year or two, it's going to be Tatum and Brown one and two. Uh, maybe Brown and Tatum. You know, like it's going to be that duo that's going to be leading the Celtics. Kemba's yeah, people, people, people forget how dominant they were back probably two, three months ago when the JT, the, 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 uh, what was it? They, they had the shirts that right. they made. Yeah, back in February. But not only that, I'm going to go back a little bit. Back to Jalen Brown, uh, excuse me, uh, Jason Tatum's rookie season back in the conference finals when he dunked on LeBron James. That game they should have won. I mean, it came down to a couple of bad calls, and LeBron kind of just did LeBron. But, hey, you know what? He was right there, right on the crasp it. And, you know, you can tell me about the Giannis or, the, like, you know, the Joel Embiid or the Ben Simmons, but none of those guys have been on the been on that close to getting to the finals. Jason Tatum's the only one that's done it. So if I had to put any, my money on anybody who's going to have a good playoff run, i got to put it on Tatum. I mean, I know Tatum has a bunch of, like, stuff going on in his head with his kid. He's not being in the bubble, and, you know, he saw that he's, you know, reading stories. I mean, that has to have something to him. And his, you know, in his head, like not being with his kid, but I feel at the same time, like he's thinking to himself, if I don't win here, it's kind of all like a waste of time. You know, I got to go out and do something. So I mean, Tatum was so close to doing his rookie year that I would not be surprised if this year he comes out and is so dominant and pushes the Celtics. Tatum will win in the Celtics uniform. I don't think it'll be this year, but Jake, before we end this topic here, gun to your head, uh, where do the Celtics go? I think their floor. Their absolute floor is the second round. I don't think you can go worse in the second round. Their ceiling, though, I, their ceiling is an NBA championship. And I'm not even trying to say, like, take the safe bet. or like, But it's it, that's realistic because there's so many uncertain factors that head into this season because not only can anybody get COVID, but you have to think about, too, like, the Celtics could get riddled by injuries and COVID, which is just two awful things that could happen to them. Yeah, and not to mention, too. Anybody can go to a strip club and get uh, have to quarantine for like 14 days, which will be like uh, could be a playoff series or two. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be pretty bad if someone did that. The Williams, but anyways, um, I just feel like I, I feel like Tatum could push this team all the way, and I think the Celtics could very well win it. Um, but like I said, I think their floors their floor is the second round. Their ceilings the championship. So. Also, not to mention, too, I could be sitting here in, like, a month from now saying, yeah, the NBA is not even happening because, you know, the bubble got yeah. broke. So there's, there's too many uncertainties to say that, you know, to narrow it down to one to one little thing. I, I think under my head I'm saying I'm saying they're going to make it to the conference finals and lose. I'm going to say Kem, Kem, Kemba, Kemba's not going to be fully healthy by the start, and his body's going to break down by the conference finals. Okay, so uh, that's your that's your take right here. So uh, final take, final words right here right for me, real quick. Uh, Mookie Betts contract worth it for him. Dodgers little iffy. Red Sox they need to get their pitching staff together, uh, and you know get back on track, and you know they can make the playoffs. Uh, Stidham starting week one. Stidham, you know the train. 
Drew Chu, still coming along, still chugging along. And uh, I think uh, the Celtics could win the championship with their floor being the second round. Uh, Kaden, final words. Yeah, to recap this for me, um, the the Red Sox, they need to figure it out. Ron Renicki needs to go. Um, but they can make the playoffs and will make the playoffs. And they'll probably, I could see them going to the, the uh, at, at least conference series. Um, the uh, Celtics are going to make it to the conference finals. Kemba's going to break down. Bruins could definitely make it to the cup, like cup final. Um, the, the Bruins will definitely go further than the Celtics. So, yes, by that logic, they would have to make it to the final. Um, and Mookie's deal is a bad deal because it screws over the daughters in the long run. All right, there you guys have it. Final words from the Boston Power. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you guys follow us on Instagram at Boston Sports Center 617 and Caden underscore Bod. Uh, also, you guys, make sure you guys check us out on Apple. Give us a five-star rating. That would be greatly appreciated. And we're all over the place. Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, YouTube. I mean, you name it, you're probably on there. So Yeah, subscribe to the Rise Wave YouTube, too. We're growing that. So Yeah, a bunch of new content on that. So, guys, make sure you guys are checking it out. And once again, thank you guys so much for watching this episode of The Boss Power. And we'll catch you guys next week.